You're listening to Unity Radio, Worcester's Community Connection. And welcome to episode two of the This Week in Worcester podcast. I am Tom Marino, here with the, what do we decide, editor-in-chief of... Of this week in Worcester, Patrick Sargent. Hi, Pat. Hi, Tom. How are you, buddy? I'm okay. Good. Happy school vacation. Yeah. Uh, let me just point out that we decided to do episode two on a week with no city council school committee meetings. So we're really going to have to uh, claw at this thing for another hour. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm sure we will. That's a good point, though. Well, Well planned by us. Well planned by us. Where are we starting? We're going to start with, we're going to go back two weeks and Mayor Joe Pitty released his bullet points for what he would like to see happen with the school department in response to the calling for the removal of Superintendent Maureen Benenda, school safety officer Rob Azella, and um, not necessarily, well, yeah, demands, I guess, and some changes requested by local nonprofits, uh, Worcester Interfaith. So I think the first thing... I, the first question I have is, are we allowed to call this school gate yet? School gate. No. Um, we need a... There's got to be a better name for that. And we, we need a name. Yeah. Because this thing won't go, won't, won't stop. Well, it's tried to stop. And uh, last week, the principal sent out that letter in support of the superintendent. And that made it all come back. And that made it come back. And then uh, D- Doug Arbetter, who I like Doug, um, he ran for school committee a couple of years ago. He wrote a letter to the editor uh, for Womag that stirred the pot a little bit. So it just it, it's not going anywhere. Those two things have kind of keep bringing it back. Although this week of vacation could possibly snuff this out for a little while until it gets closer to, A, the end of the school year, or B, even the elections. Yeah. Elections. Uh, I mean, the way it works in Worcester, people forget about it after a while. But what what I was saying is, so Mayor Perry came out, rolled out uh, six or seven points that things that he would like to see happen. He's the single guy I I think in this city that could put an end from people taking sides on this issue, for people calling out each other and demanding that people be removed from their positions. He's the one guy that is wholly respected by both groups. It seems that could come in and bring people to the table and say, here's what needs to happen. We can decide on certain things. We can negotiate to make this work for everybody. It's more and more not becoming about the kids and it's becoming about politics. And that's unfortunate. So if the mayor would like to, he could honestly make about a dozen phone calls in one morning, meet that afternoon, and put an end to all this. And so anyways, so he brings up all these points, and this was April 1st that he published that to Facebook, uh, got picked up by every media outlet. But he has seven or six or seven points here um, that we, we should look back at and see. If there's been any momentum whatsoever. Any momentum, or if they've already been taken care of, or if any of these are pie-in-the-sky ideas that he has, or... Anything that, you know, we think, yes, this is necessary, this needs to get done, you know, is this beneficial right now or is this more geared towards where's the public schools of the future? Uh, so let's start with the first one. 
the school department to provide the necessary student-sensitive data needed to do a thorough review of the suspension rates in our Worcester Public Schools. Two weeks ago, uh, Superintendent Benendek released, uh, released that data. Um, whether or not that thorough review has been done, I'm sure it hasn't. I'm sure that has to wait. The superintendent's contract's almost up. So I'm guessing, and this is just speculation, that that review is going to happen during her either next contract negotiations or her review. I'm not sure what thorough review means. I mean, the data is what the data is. It's not complex to understand. Well, no matter what you might think of our mayor, he isn't necessarily a wordsmith here. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, this is just jargon, I guess, if you want to call that. Uh, yeah, he needs. We need to do a thorough review of the suspension rates. Well, the rates are out there. So, yeah, how long is this review going to take? They've dropped forty percent, almost across the board in every category. Which I mean, you know, I am no no expert on 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 education policy, but that sort of just seems arbitrary. It just seems like they're suspending less kids. Well, that's exactly what happened. exactly it, and that's what we talked about the last episode. We interviewed um, Roger Nugent, who is the teachers' union president. Right. And he said to me that the teachers in West Public Schools are frustrated with, in the dis- you know, disciplinary system, however you want to call it, uh, the lack of discipline now in schools. And that's going to be a major, major point. And it should be, and it should be highlighted more than it has been. I haven't, I don't think I've read it anywhere else uh, other than on our site, thisweekinwister.com. And that's a major point. You can't just stop disciplining kids and then say, hey, look it. These kids are getting less trouble. They're, they're not as suspended as much. You know, it's there has to be a give and take here. And it seems like, yes, there are, the suspension rates are down, but the teachers are unhappy. And that's what it ultimately comes down to so, from, in the eyes of the union. So a couple questions. The first one is, does the mayor have a track record of uh, bringing people together, to use a you know, $5 phrase in politics, uh, like you described? He does. He actually has um, a few committees that he chairs uh, as the mayor, mayoral committees of some yep. kind yep. Uh, that I know of. And he also has uh, one that specifically, if, if I'm correct – looks at minorities in the school system. Uh, he, he is the head of the Worcester School Committee as the elected mayor. So, yeah, he does have, long story short, he does have a some history sort of, yeah, of, of brokering some sort of yes. uh, political goodwill. Well, and not necessarily, but he, he can bring people to the table. People will listen to him. Gotcha. Second question is, you know, you have this in the, the macro and you have this in the micro sense. So we have this data and how you interpret it is, you can disagree, agree to or disagree on how to interpret it, but the data is what the data is. And then you have, in a micro sense, as you mentioned, there's teachers who are you know, working every day and frustrated that for whatever reason that, that discipline isn't as effective or I don't know how to phrase what their position might be, but that there is some, um, some frustration with a potential lack of discipline in some areas. And, but who's, who's in the middle interpreting how the reality Conform or how the reality is producing the data, right? Who's who's trying to figure out, you know, the difference between the two perspectives, and you know, you have a resource officer, right, who's 
basically a police officer for the schools right. is the way I understand it. Um, police officers are often wonderful, but their focus is very specific, you know, enforcing the rules. Who's figuring out what this all means and who actually understands what it means in the middle? I I, th- I think I don't think there's an answer. I, I don't. Well, I, I think the answer is no one. I guess the answer would have to be the media, and we're not doing that. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're not. Um, we you know we're not dedicating enough time to to do that. We we just we certainly aren't, and especially when we have one outlet absolutely taking sides in this issue, it's it's not necessarily a good thing for the city. So yeah, as as media members, we should be the ones in, in the middle figuring it out for both sides spelling it out for them well so the, so that might be true and i think point well taken on people in the media taking sides you know i think that's why people visit 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 this week in worcester because we report the news not just the facts just yeah the facts man. yeah not uh interpret the news for our own interests but i mean shouldn't there be someone who's in the middle there for the city like who's who, well, who's reviewing case studies on discipline you know what i mean or you know talking to teachers and then reviewing case studies on 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 disciplinary action and figuring out what the reality is because well, yes, the nuance that, of the reality is where this is needs to be fixed that role belongs to joe petty however he's he's certainly not taken sides but he's put out where he stands uh so maybe i'll volunteer ed augustus to jump in the mix here i know he won't but he could and be that, yeah, middleman, so to speak. It seems. It seems. I guess where I'm going is. It seems to me that there needs to be a policy person that is a little closer to the ground to figure out what reality is here. Well, then we could transition there in our next segment to what you just said. That policy person could be the diversity chief that they're looking for for public schools. And that could be that could be the role that they play. And it should be the part of the role that they play. We don't need any more committees in the city. Okay? We don't need we have a committee for literally everything, every aspect of public. Yeah, yeah. we we do, I, I think what we need um what we don't need is more people who used to be in a classroom talking about how this works. Not that that perspective isn't valuable, but we need some people to, you know, that are talking to teachers and looking at the data and looking at the cases of discipline involved and how to fix, to, to understand what the problem actually is besides the statistics and then figuring out a way to fix whatever problems there might be. Here's an idea to wrap up before our next segment. How about bring people from outside the city? Well, let's not, let's not get crazy. Oh, I know, that sounds like a lot of work, but <laughs> you know, you know what? I, how about people that aren't invested financially, their family's not here, people that can look at a situation and provide their opinion, people with you know backgrounds in education, and, and right. a, a, some sort of expert in this field come in for, that's not <laughs> running for office, that doesn't have any political gains in the city, and saying, hey, this should be this way, this is how we do certain things here. What's what's so difficult about that? Why is that such a... Who are they going to hire as this diversity officer? Is it somebody from Worcester or somebody from Central Massachusetts? Or are we going to hire from the outside somebody to come in and clean this up? 
Yeah, and I mean, I you know, maybe this, maybe we're talking about something that might not be the role of a diversity officer, but there, yeah, there's got to be somebody who's independent minded here in the middle that's figuring out what the reality of all this is. Because I mean, look, I, as I said, I think two weeks ago when we did this, um, this is not a Worcester. This is not a problem that is isolated in Worcester. Of this course is, not. This is a problem you can find in near every school in the country. And again, I think I said this very same thing. We're certainly not qualified to figure out why that is, but it's something that exists. Sometimes maybe there's bias involved. You know, I'm sure there's a a, a multitude of reasons that combine to get this result. And it's different in different places. But the fact is is, is that, again, in the the macro sense, this exists damn near everywhere. So that there's suddenly a great big uproar about it 10 seconds before primaries do, uh, right at the beginning of the the election season. That's convenient, huh? is, Is fairly repugnant to me. All right, well, why don't we take a break and uh, wrap up there, and we'll cover this uh, diversity and opportunity officer in the next segment. All right. Hi, I'm Ernie Floyd, Executive Director of Unity Radio, W2I 102.9 in Worcester. Join us Saturday, May 18th at the Worcester Green Hill Park Golf Course in support of our 2019 Unity Radio Golf Fundraiser, Raise Power to the Tower. Registration begins at 12 noon and tea time starts at 1 p.m. Your tax-deductible participation will support the Alliance Media Group, Unity Radio's high school and college internship digital media programs. Your support is our success in the development of our future communication leaders. For more information about the 2019 Unity Radio Golf Fundraiser, contact us at info at unityradioma.org. That's info at unityradioma.org. I'm Ernie Floyd, Executive Director of Unity Radio. You're listening to WTY 102.9 Worcester and streaming at unityradioma.org. Unity Radio, Worcester's community connection. And welcome back to episode two of this week in Worcester podcast talking about I want to say schoolgate but that doesn't really make any sense no we gotta we really have to this could be our opportunity to um, brand recognition yeah, for exactly. creating a term that doesn't mean anything suspension gate that's too long no. I, don't I don't know, know. we'll figure yeah. it out yeah anyway uh, what we were talking about in the last segment was the suspension rates among Hispanic students in Worcester and Mayor Petty's proposal several proposals of how to fix the school department and the community within the schools. The second bullet <laughs> point, we're never going to get to all seven, uh, no, but no, no. he puts them at the top of the list for a reason. Um, <laughs> the second point that he put out is hiring a diversity and equal opportunity officer. That, that There's a similar role in the city, mm-hmm. and I think this is probably more important than that role. Yeah, no question. Especially yeah. this is the future of the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, these kids that are most yeah. public schools are going to be here for a long time, we hope. And there was some, I guess, uh, I don't know who said it, but I heard that there was some um, objection to that because of budgetary reasons. Well, figure it out. Oh, they will figure it out. Yeah. The um, mayor, I mean, you know, when it comes down to this, once Joe Petty says something's going to happen, chances are it's already in the works of happening. Fair enough. All right. Number three. I'm going to push you through oh, these. All right. All right. Great. Uh, review of the state school discipline statute to ensure the city is in complete compliance 
with the law and make any necessary changes to our policies and procedures. I haven't seen anything come out about that. Yeah, that seems um, like fluff. I, I don't know that what's I can't see how what's going on is, you know, is illegal in some sense. <laughs> if I were you're right. If I I'm with you on that. If I were to guess we are in compliance. Yeah. With the state statute. That's 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 politics speaking. Number four. Number four. And this is close to home for us as Worcester State University alumni. Mm-hmm. Um, go Lancers. Have Worcester State reengage with the school department in order to refresh and update the 2014 report. Suspension of Worcester, a continuing conversation. And this I absolutely agree with. It should happen either every year or every two years, three years. But this is now going on five years. And it's probably data from before 2014. Right, right. This is, I think, is a fantastic idea. And like I said, it, it should be a recurring yeah, thing. It's, it's not, um, only, not only to study these numbers, study this data and these findings, but... To also involve Worcester State University with the Worcester School Department. Sure. But I mean, you know, in a city that, um, I mean, look, we have nothing in a city if we don't have colleges. I mean, we have, you know, 413 or something like that. Uh, we have Brew Woo. And, you know, I mean, this is this is what academia is supposed to do. This is the role academia is supposed to play in public policy is exactly that. And we have lots of academia here. So the fact that we're not leveraging them on, on a you know, an important topic like this is mind-boggling. Any involvement to get young minds, any ideas to get young minds involved, I should say, in public service, the government process, the schools in Worcester is a positive thing. Sure, sure. Uh, The next one is incorporate training practices focused on understanding cultural differences, unconscious bias, and trauma-informed care. Uh, I believe they do this already. From what I've been told, uh, I believe this is part of their professional development. Which, in as it for should the be, teacher, Worcester teachers. If, I believe how much they highlight these. I'm, I'm honestly not sure, but I believe they're at least touched upon in their professional development. Yeah, obviously they need to probably do more, or at least revisit uh, <laughs> how the programs run. But I mean, yeah, if those things aren't incorporated in some way, that's pretty scary. So that means we're well behind on things. Yeah, which. Again, wouldn't be exactly shocking, but I mean, I, I think I would be shocked actually, actually, if if those things aren't already incorporated. So we got two left here: the public and private college partners to work on strategies for a focused recruitment and support effort of that diverse, which the public school student body for education preparation programs. What I think he's trying to say is: Can you convert that to English, um, please? I and again, I could be wrong, but what I think he's trying to say is. He's trying to recruit teachers. That's what that meant? I guess. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. I'm going to have to cut this whole thing out. Um, no, I, I think it's, <laughs> I, I think, I think it's, um, you know, I think that you might be right. That's a lot of politics speak to say we need to recruit more teachers. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get through this last bullet point and then I want to discuss the, the t- diversity of teachers a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what a certain school committee member said a few weeks back. Uh, the Mayor's Commission on Latino Education Advancement to finish their work and submit a report no later than August 15th. I, th- <laughs> I think he's buying himself some time there, seeing it's his commission on Latino education and advancement to finish their work in the middle of the summer. School's out. If that comes out in the middle of August, not to say no one's going to care. But nobody's going to care. <laughs> no one's around in Worcester. Yeah. You know, everyone's... Worcester's a ghost town in the summer. 
teachers by then, by August 15th, teachers are already focused on just getting school started again. Yeah. Yeah. Parents and kids are getting focused on getting school started again. Get it, Joe, get it out before the end of the school year. Let's discuss this, whatever you're planning, before school gets out in June. I mean, that, that seems like a... Um What's, what I find strange about that is that seems like a broader initiative that's not really focused on the on, on the topic. It says to finish their work and submit a report, but I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, like I, I guess not knowing what they're working. What, what's the name of the the, the re- mayor's commission on Latino education and advancement? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's again, it seems like overly broad political speech. You know, I mean, they they it depends on what their focus is, and I guess we don't know. So because there's no report yet, so well, how could we know? He's just trying to get ahead. That's all. Yeah, like we're writing a report on a thing. By the way, there's this commission. Um, yeah, yeah. Yet another board of people that don't talk about anything, that don't talk to each other, and basically criticize each other from afar. Great. That's the commission that John Manfredo just retired. From. Just just quit, quit from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I get what the commission. From. I get what the commission is. But yeah. what's what is the you know what report are we talking about? Yeah. I guess is the question. I don't know. Um, so, but back to. The diversity of the teachers they hire. Mm-hmm. Dante Camparetto said a few weeks back, school committee meeting, that he knows people with PhDs, people of color, um, that were not hired, were not offered jobs with which to public schools. And I find that extremely hard to believe. If you have your certification as a teacher and you have a PhD and you want to teach in Worcester public schools, guess what? They're going to hire you. There's no two ways about it. Well, sure. And and I would argue that the number of people that uh, with PhDs and teaching certifications that want to teach in any public school at the high school level anywhere is probably pretty slim. Right. And also what's pretty slim is the overall group of the pool of teachers these days. Right. So that he has... I guess I guess you didn't quantify how many, but uh, you know the number's going to be pretty small. The only thing I could guess in that situation is the teachers weren't certified and therefore weren't offered the positions. Well, they probably wouldn't have to be certified yet; they'd have to be in the program. I believe that's I believe that's how it works. I'm not sure. I'm sure they didn't do something that they was, they have to have done, whether it's take the intels right, right, or right, something right, along right. those lines. Right. Um, that's the only <laughs> that's literally the only thing I can think of that would stop. The school department from hiring people. Yeah, with I mean, PhDs. I just the most recent person I've run into with a PhD. He's somebody I know who's at UConn, PhD in economics, and he's defended his thesis, but isn't isn't through yet. Mm-hmm. He's already got a job in Virginia as an adjunct professor at a college. So that's what people with PhDs do. Right, but that's different. So people working on their PhDs can teach in college. Yeah, no, but he's done. He's, okay. you know, he's done. He's defended his thesis. Thesis is written, done, submitted, yeah. accepted. I mean, he's got a start date for his job. He's finishing right now. You know, he's in the th- this this school year. He's finishing his PhD program, goes to work in, you know, at the beginning of the college school year this year. That's what happens with people with PhDs, right? By and large, um, that want to teach at least. They do so at the college level and they get jobs pretty quickly. They're not tenure jobs, but they get adjunct jobs pretty quickly. So yeah, I I. What, what I would like to see is a report of some sort of data on how many teachers applied for jobs in the past three years, how many, how many of them were of color, how many of them held PhDs, and how many of them were hired. And they'll have, you know, the thing about that is that, they have it. that data exists. That's EEOC data. 
that's equal opportunity commission data. So they'll have that data. That, I don't know if it will correlate with PhDs, but the, the race data they should have. Right. But yeah, that seems like a tale. Tall tale. I, I think, uh, you know, granted we're old now, but uh, I think Speak through my... <laughs> you're old and you know it. Um, that I think throughout my public school experience, I think I had one teacher that had a PhD. I think, I think I'm the same. I think I'll, I mean, I went to a private school, but I'm pretty sure I only had one teacher with a PhD. Yeah. Maybe two. It would strike me as odd. The school wouldn't leap on those opportunities. Yeah. No, not smart enough for us. That PhD means nothing in Worcester. Yeah, I, I, I'm. You know, I'm not. I'm not saying that uh, our city is perfect by any means, but I just don't. I at that would take uh, what if that is the case. If, uh, that statement is would turn out to be accurate for the reasons that being implied that it is. Um, yeah, and then then he's right, and that's a scandal. Well, we'd have a hefty lawsuit on our hands. Not we. The city would have a hefty lawsuit. Yeah, yeah. You know, given the track record here that's developing, Dante seems to seems to say things very boldly, and then not, and then wait for other people to support his points. Throw things against the wall and then run away. Yeah. All right. Well, let's wrap it up here, and we'll uh, in our next segment we'll talk some more. Uh, we'll be right back. We're going to take a short break at this week in Whistler podcast. You're listening to Unity Radio, Worcester's Community Connection. And welcome back to the This Week in Worcester, Worcester School Department podcast. <laughs> uh, we're going to stop talking about schools. School Department Gate 2019. <laughs> um, you recently wrote a piece for ThisWeekinWorcester.com about current missing people in Worcester County, correct? Yeah, it's actually, um, I've done two parts of a three-part series that we're working on. The third and final part will come out on Wednesday morning. The first two parts, a couple weeks ago, um, we started, and this is all in reaction to a girl from Worcester who had been missing for a couple of years. Uh, the Lemister police put out an alert saying that in all likelihood, she was in Lemster mm-hmm. somewhere. And so I went and, you know, started putting together some information. Come to find out, there, uh, she and six others, uh, all young ages, you know, a couple teenagers to the early 20s, are missing in Worcester. So, so the six f- cases in Worcester. So the se- there were seven at the time. No, One of them has been found in the past few weeks, which we'll also report on Wednesday. And the person that was found was found was uh, Michaela Rosado from Worcester, um, and she was only missing for a few weeks before she was found. How many did you find in in Worcester County? Mm-hmm. There's thirty six. So at the time, it was still thirty seven, but right. Michaela was found. And is that uh, is it all young people? No, that's overall. this is this is from starting in the late seventies until until oh wow okay. early two thousand nineteen. So there's thirty six people from from Worcester County missing and. You know, you don't really understand what the idea of a missing person means until you actually put it out there on social media saying, this person's missing like we had. Marilyn Rodriguez was the girl that was believed to be in Lemonster. Uh, so we put that story out and that took off 
And then we did the first segment or the first portion of this missing person series that we're doing. And we did these seven young people from Worcester are missing. We put that out and it just took off on social media. And it's a it's a good way to kind of illustrate how important this is to everyone. I mean, mm. not it's not just a Worcester thing, not Worcester County, not Massachusetts. But the idea of missing people is, for whatever reason, just complete strangers. It hits them emotionally, spiritually. You know, there is a lot of interest in helping people find people that are gone. The story took off, you know, thousands of shares across social media. It was all, it's all over the place. One, like I said, one girl was found. And then we expanded outside of Worcester and we did a Worcester County. And what we used was the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and NAM US. Uh, so we used these two databases and it compiled a list of 36 people, uh, all missing from Worcester and, like I said, from Worcester the, County. Worcester, Worcester County and Worcester and Worcester County. And it goes from the late 70s to early 2019. And what's crazy is, you know, these people that are missing. From the 70s and 80s and even the 90s, people on social media are sharing their posts and they're sharing it. Hey, this is my cousin. This is my brother, my sister, my mm-hmm. relative. This is a friend of mine. I went to high school with her or him. I mean, it's unbelievable how these people, you know, they've been gone for 30, 40 years, but these people haven't forgot that these people are still missing. And and what we see, what the feedback that we got, we got a lot of thank yous for sharing the lists that we did and for sharing the information that, you know, probably right. isn't publicized as often as it should be. As who, who they actually are. Who they and, are. Yeah. yeah. And under what circumstances they went missing. I mean, right. we, have, we do have some of that info as well. Uh, but on Wednesday, we'll, we'll release our third and final part of these missing people. And, but it's a two-part thing. So all these missing people are unsolved cases. Uh, they don't know where... They went, obviously. Right, know, and if there's not a lead, the end, if there's no lead, it's difficult for law enforcement. I mean, if there's no way to chase, no path to chase across, then uh, it's difficult to do so, obviously. Exactly. So you're going to see on Wednesday we're going to release a list of unsolved murders along with unsolved missing endangered people from Worcester. And this is an update list we just got from the Worcester Police Department. And that plays a role, too, because in either sense – so we have these 60-some-odd unsolved murders in, just in Worcester alone uh, that are being actively investigated by the Worcester Police Department. And then we have maybe 6 to 10 missing endangered people that we've already reported on um, but are also on that list. And what it comes down to, under the, they fall under the same umbrella, is they, the law enforcement don't know what happened to these people. And that's really all this in a nutshell is... There's no explanations for either where these people went or what happened or what happened to them. And it doesn't hurt to put it out there to the public because you never know who's going to come out and might know, might know something. Right. Obviously, the odds are incredibly slim, uh, I would imagine. But the truth of it is, and the information's not exactly accessible, not easily accessible, I should say. Right. And so to put a, to put, I think we've, um, what you're trying to say is to kind of to refresh people's memories or let people know that these cases exist, you know, can only be a good thing, hopefully, to lead to some sort of resolution for families or the people involved. Of course. I mean, and that's, 
you know, you, you never know, even if it's only out of the almost 100 people that we list over these three segments, you ne- even if one person, you know, something comes to fruition about one, a one lead, person. A, a sniff, something, anything. a smoke signal, something. Yes. Yeah. It's worth it. Absolutely. And it's, it's also worth putting in the back of people's minds that, you know, we put the photos with just about everybody that we post. Um, Which is so, great. So who knows? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you never know. It's, it's a minor miracle if some, somebody is found or if a, if a murder is solved. Great. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I think the kind of traditional news cycle, you know, these cases come up, either somebody goes missing or something happens to someone. And, you know, it's a story for a minute and then it's not anymore. So to refresh people's, again, to refresh people's memories of, of these cases is, is, I think, an important thing. Well, it's funny you should say that. You said uh, it's a story for a little while, then it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, one story that kind of jumps out at me and always have, and it, it's the first missing person story that I ever did was, is in 2014 on Sabrina Hathaway of Worcester. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, she was 23 when she went missing. And I had the opportunity to interview her boyfriend, who is now in jail for conspiracy. All of a sudden, you see all these outside factors play into this girl's disappearance. You've got her love interests. She has a daughter. She had her mother, who has since been murdered. She had you know problems with her stepfather. Is all these personal relationships? Mm-hmm. That this one person has that a stranger like myself suddenly finds out. You know what I mean? There's all these elements. So you might not know that person that's gone missing, but, you know, there's branches to that tree. There's other people that they knew. People have social networks, not in the online sense. Exactly. Yes. Sorry. That was my long way of getting there. It took you about two seconds. That's, Um, that's, That's why I'm here. So anyways, so that was my whole interest was sparked on you know where are these people why isn't it why is information more public than it is not only from the missing persons databases but from law enforcement but law enforcement can only do can only give you as much as they're capable of well right and i mean in the vast majority of these cases um you know when they're the best resolution often comes when they're solved quickly right the likelihood of discovering evidence seems to depreciate over time. And so when these cases carry on, of course, and new cases arise, the, you know, the most uh, effective way to find people or solve cases is, is to work what's recent. And the unfortunate thing is the only thing you hear about when it comes to these cases, you know, for example, Sabrina Hathaway, you only hear about what happens to the people other than her. You know, uh, you, you hear about the people that might have been involved in her disappearance that are in and out of court. Right. Uh, those, that's the only connection she now has to the public is through these people. Right. And it's really down to them. And it's up to us as media to make sure that for as long as we can, we're covering what's going on in the courts with all these cases. Uh, Cause that's honestly the only way <laughs> that's the only connection. We can't speak to these people. Right. What we have to focus on is the people that once surrounded them, what's going on in their lives, as respectfully. And Are you saying that the media has responsibilities? Some. Yeah. Yeah, of course they do. Wow, well, what, a, what a novel concept. Well, and we shouldn't forget that either. You know, I mean, oftentimes we do, and I'm, we're all guilty of it. But our responsibility in this case is to 
continue to follow up on these cases. Yeah. Continue. There's, there's not a lot of that, I don't think. There's not a lot. Also, there's not a lot of updates either. That's what um, I mean. Yeah. yeah. So we tell, we tell there's not stories. a lot of opportunity to update these stories, to continue these stories. Right. When they first happen, when somebody first goes missing or or there's a you know some sort of crime, um, it seems like we talk about them for a news cycle, maybe two. Yeah. If there's some really salacious and exploitable details. And uh, and then they go away. And we kind of forget about that person. And it's, it's unfortunate. Hmm. But that's the reality. And, and, and in the case of, uh, I guess, less so in crime, but in, in missing persons cases, uh, you know, that they go away isn't great. Right. It's uh, or certainly not helpful. Well, good work. Thanks, Tom. We finally wrote something cool. And... Uh, <laughs> No, I, once um, in a blue moon, <laughs> something about a dog behind in the sun. That's right. Um, no, it's um, it, it's certainly a good series and and well worth reading. Uh, so so tune in on Wednesday for the final, the third part, third entry for final Jeopardy on on missing people. Yes, cool. All right, we will be back on this week on some podcast. You're listening to Unity Radio, Worcester's Community Connection. And welcome back to the near conclusion of the epic episode number two of this week in Worcester podcast. Wanted to, I wanted to bring up, uh, touch on a little bit of, of national news election-wise, since we talked about forthcoming elections here and how that makes everybody insane. We get to talk about this for about another year and a half, longer. Right? Oh, it's brutal, isn't it? You know, I think we do a lot of things right in this country. Our elections are not one of them. In the UK, they, they time box us to two months. They announce an election. Two months you can campaign. And then they vote. And they go back to work. This two-year cycle thing, the never-ending campaign, is pretty brutal. Well, and, it's, it's become a sideshow. I mean... It's a, like a nonstop narrative. Obviously, Trump's going. President Trump's going to be the Republican nominee. So, interesting, interesting thing uh, about that. So, the day after his inauguration, unprecedented move, he filed for re-election. Right, I remember that. I, I, I did see that. And so, what that allowed him to do was start raising money. And uh, they announced yesterday that he raised thirty million bucks in the first quarter. You know, by comparison. Um, the leading candidate on the other side in fundraising is is Bernie, my guy, and uh, he raised eighteen. Wow! But the president had money left over in the you know what they call it, the war chest. So he's basically got a, a, all the he's got I forget what the I forget what the number is, a hundred million bucks ish for the campaign at this point, which puts him more than all the Democratic candidates combined. Let me ask you about the Democratic candidates. <laughs> Do you think they're doing themselves a disservice like the Republican Party did um, when Trump was running? Uh, no. With multi- with so many candidates instead of backing the strongest candidate they possibly can? No. I mean, call me crazy, but I believe in this thing that we used to care about in this country called democracy. And so I am not afraid of having a conversation. You know, the Republicans did that. They decided what they decided. Much to my surprise, actually, I don't think Kamala Harris is going anywhere. That'll be over sooner than later. Cory Booker doesn't look like he's going anywhere, not raising any money at least. Kirsten Gillibrand, I don't think that's going anywhere. So, I mean, you have a lot of people that are, um, 
you know, I don't know what they're, I don't, I don't know who was on their exploratory committees that came back and said, yeah, you get a shot. Your friends. Yeah. Your yeah. You got some people that'll give you money, but I mean, I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think a lot of these. Your ego. Yeah. I mean, Biden's going to announce, I think this weekend, or I don't think he did over the weekend. I think it's planned this week or next weekend or something. Buddha, Buddha edge edge, right? Buddha judge. Buddha judge. Buddha, like. Yeah. Pete Buddha, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete. By the way, I'm not going to, I refuse to call, if he's elected our president, I'm not calling him Mayor Pete. That's, that's where be- I draw the line. <laughs> Even if he is president, because you know that's going to catch on in the next year and a half. Is, if he's the number one Democratic candidate. That's not going anywhere. If he, will, the Democrats are losing if their candidate's nickname is Mayor Pete. I'm just going to put that out there that's right funny. now. That's, uh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I don't think, I think that that will, um, you know, for <laughs> he's an inter- look, he's an interesting guy, and he's doing a really good job right now. I um, I don't, I don't think we're talking. They're about opening for, up the door. <laughs> the Democrats are opening up the door. Pete Buttigieg is opening up the door. You can't say it. I can't, but that's okay. He's opening up the door to a guy that made up nicknames against everybody he ran against. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. If Mayor Pete, you know what that's going to come out to be? He's going to turn that around on him so quickly. It's, I, I don't know. They're just, they need to get it together. You know, but we just said that. I, I, no, I, I don't think this is a problem. Uh, a lot of these people will wash out pretty quickly. You know, somebody is going to get more than somebody. A lot of people are going to get handed themselves their lunch in, in, the, in, in a couple of debates and they'll go away. Isn't it sickening though that the conversation we're, we're in the throes of right now is, we're t- <laughs> and it's my own fault, but we're talking about nicknames and how much money these people have. Instead of their platforms nowadays. Well, you know, we don't uh, we don't talk about policy anymore. We talk about stupidity. It's been, been turned into a soap opera. Yeah, no, it has, and it's it's turned into reality television. Yeah, ironically enough, it, you know, when when it does wash out, it's going to be pretty interesting. When, when the democratic field washes out, it, it'll it'll be pretty interesting who's left. Um, I think I, it's hard to envision many scenarios uh, where. This doesn't come down to Sanders and Biden. So we're going to take the two oldest guys in the room. Well, I mean, you have you have one guy who has every billionaire, you know, that's that's center right to left in his pocket, or center right to you know center left in his pocket, and you have a guy who's been who just I think accomplished a pretty remarkable feat in, in the last cycle, and you know wrote a book that did really well, and uh, and has all the infrastructure in place. This is a, it's it's not, it's um it's a lot about money and it's a lot about infrastructure about having your organization built. So I you know from my point of view and forgive me because I don't I'm not following it too closely these yeah, days. This is this is my wheel zone. So we have Biden, you have Bernie. Mm-hmm. Is Bernie running as an independent? No. Okay. Because you can't get on the ballot anywhere. All right. Uh, so Biden and Bernie, Elizabeth Warren. That's not going anywhere. And Pete Buttigieg. Those are the four front runners now, right? No, I think I think Warren's behind Kamala Harris and and Booker. You think so, huh? She's raising more money, but I don't think she's, yeah. not, she's not pulling well yet. I'm surprised. I'm honestly surprised. I mean, she's a bright woman, uh, actually from the South. And if she got into a situation where she was campaigning in the South, it'd be interesting to see how that would go, because you know she's actually she's from Oklahoma. But yeah, no, I mean, it doesn't it? You know, having all the traction in the world isn't important right now. But having no traction, which it doesn't seem like she does, seems like she's going to go away. But, you know, the flip side of that is she is raising money. 
So what ticket wins? What t- what ticket beats Trump? You know, I'm I, I have a bias here, but um, yeah, I think Biden is a ticket to the Trump second term because they don't disagree on it. What do they disagree on? Biden is a ticket to a Trump second yep. term. I don't think we. I mean, I mean, uh, the, th- the thing I think you know outside of all the noise and you know some real some created uh, scandals about the last election. Um, I think that the real difference is, is they didn't disagree on a whole lot of things. And in on some, in a populist way, you know, I think that uh, he ran to the left on her, of her, on some issues. You know, he was talking, I mean, I mean, it was all nonsense. We know that now. He was talking about taxing rich people. He was talking about uh, not ever cutting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. He proposed to cut all three multiple times. Um, you know, it was all nonsense. But the things that he was saying were, you know, workers' issues that are typically associated with the left. And everybody hated her. You know, but uh, so I think that if you allow him, uh, maybe it's a little more transparent this time, but I think if, if the Democrats, if the, everybody says you have to run a moderate that can, that can get votes, you run the risk of not differentiating. Do you see anybody coming out of left field from the Democratic Party? Um, I, I, I thought... Either Booker or Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris because they moved the California primary up, and that has so many delegates in it. That, uh, but I mean, it's, it doesn't seem to be going anywhere yet, at least. Now that can change, but the fundraising numbers. You know, she raised. I forget. I forget what the number is, but I mean, it was. It's. It's not close. I mean, you know, again, Bernie. He's got a. He's got his whole. The whole. I mean, it's. It's running a company. Running a campaign right. that big is running a company, and the whole thing's built. Like all the infrastructure is in place. He's ready to go. You know, if they're going to eat eat into, you know, Biden's, of course, being vice president gives you some gravitas uh, and all the fundraisers will eventually, you know, some have said because he's kind of been waffling or hasn't got out that, you know, some fundraisers have tell, told him no, but they'll, um, so he'll, he'll raise a ton of money and that could be the difference. So who, so who comes out? You think it's going to be Biden over Sanders? No. You think Sanders is I, the... Unless Nominee. He, I think unless he dies, he's his to lose. Well, isn't that part of the issue? Isn't that what people are afraid of? That he's three, Sanders, old, three or four years older than Trump. Oh, he looks like he's 10 years older than him. He's not, like, and that is saying quite a bit. <laughs> Trump does not look good for himself. There, no, that's you know? true. No, I uh, I do. I think it's his to lose. Um, I mean, look, he, whether, whatever you, you know, we can t- talk policy if you want, but whatever um, you might think of him, you know, he announced the day he announced for election, his whatever they call it, the um, his his name recognition, like people actually knew who he was, was at three percent. The day he announced in two thousand fifteen, wow. and he went to he won you know thirty six percent of the primary, and there's some you know questionable things that went on during during the primary. Um, uh, you know he's saying some people that people he's saying some things that people are buying into, and uh, that. He's got the whole infrastructure in place. All right, last question I have for you before we wrap this up. Who was on the ticket with Sanders? That's a good question. Um, if I could pick, it would be Tulsi Gabbard, who's probably the most amazing person in Congress right now. I don't know. If it's uh, um, that's a, that's a way he can really blow it if he pulls a McCain. Yeah, but yeah, if I could pick it, it would be Tulsi Gabbard. It, the 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 kind of um, the typical speculation has been Elizabeth Warren. I don't think that would be, in, in, unless she shows a lot in 
her own campaign. I don't think that that's because she's, you know, targeted quite a bit. And so there's a narrative on her that if she can't turn the, you know, she can't turn that narrative while campaigning a bit. um, I think that that's a dangerous pick. It will probably be Biden, uh, to be honest, because what's the over under on 10 million Statler and Waldorf memes if um, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden are on the same ticket? That won't happen. They don't don't agree on anything. Oh, they wouldn't do that anyway. Yeah, they don't. They don't. Oh, they could. But they wouldn't do it. Yeah, no, they don't agree on anything. I still like the Stalin and Waldorf idea, which is <laughs> right then. Yeah, no, I mean, um, I mean, look, the bulk of the the party infrastructure, um, and most of the people that have been elected to Washington are center right. They're not left wing. I mean, in, in especially in a global sense, our politics, you know, all this hoopla about our politics, you know, these crazies, these crazy left wingers, these crazy liberals, like. Meh. And if, if if you look at politics across the planet, our Democrats are pretty far to the right. To you know, I would call it center to center right. Whereas the, our Republican Party is, of course, pretty right wing. Not wouldn't say extreme, but I mean, pretty would not classify that as the the the, ver, the vast majority of Republicans that we have at the national level is center right. Um, so I think we kind of have a right wing party in a you know center to center right party. So. Uh, Whatever you might think of the ideas, uh, when somebody's talking about some things that actually might benefit your life, and there are things that nobody else is really talking about. My life can't get any more benefited than it is now, so I'm <laughs> you not know, concerned about this 2020. Is, this is uh, this is what 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 actually. I'm on this podcast, all right? I've peaked. You have peaked. Um, this is what people that are actually progressive have said for a long time: is that if uh, if people go out and talk about progressive ideas, which are basically working class people issues that they will win. And well, the one guy that's really done that went from 3% to 30%. So maybe there's something there. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Thanks, Tom. And um, be sure to, that's going to do it for us, but be sure to check out this week in Worcester.com tomorrow morning. And especially on Wednesday, when we roll out our third and final segment of our Uh, missing persons in unsolved cases coverage and that's going to do it i'm pat Sargent with tom marino this is the this week in worcester podcast you're listening to unity radio worcester's community connection